0: Funny man's back. Welcome to God's word during exile. I'm happy that I totally got pigeonholed into that. It was a great intro, you know. No problem. Funny Mike. man. What was it all
1: around Funny Man like Natal? Is that yeah. the exact quote? I think that's generally I also love what I said. How-
0: uh i also got thrown under the bus for it being this will be the most uh productive bible study that we have like i'm the one who goes down rabbit trails uh big big huge shout out uh to the righteous reverend dr father matthew i'm not gonna say read uh richard um Actually, I was telling Mike the other day that it was probably better that I wasn't on that episode because I am a huge Matt Richard fanboy. Like, I probably would have just gushed the entire episode and just looked at him. Just drooled. Yeah, just gazing into his knowledge of amazingness. So uh, it was probably better off that I wasn't so that I could watch the episode by myself uh, and not have to... Let that show. But thank you for allowing me to not be there. I was actually doing something crazy. Anyone want to guess what I was doing?
1: Curling, feeding pigeons.
0: Did you say curling? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh Ben, do you want to do you want to take a guess, Ben?
1: Oh, this is I Making <laughs> right.
0: so I was I was <laughs> moving something with a friend. All right. And we were moving a harpsichord together. What? It was amazing. So uh, usually being a music major, I've moved a few harpsichords in my day. This was the largest and heaviest harpsichord I have ever moved in my entire life. It was uh, eight and a half feet long. um, And it was, oh man, hundred... Hundred and some odd pounds, it was wild. So mm. we had we had a lot of fun. And the best part was was that of course it was on a split level house. And guess where the harpsichord was?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So narrow there staircase.
2: was uh, say that again. Mm. Narrow staircase.
0: Uh the staircase wasn't narrow. Luckily, the staircase was outside, okay. but it was about 15 steps. And there was a huge pivot about half way down so that was yeah it was it was something else but we got it safely uh, I'll, I'll uh, post a picture at some point I just have to airdrop it to the computer so that you guys can see it but it was it was pretty big uh, but it was super appreciative to move it he is a, a piano organ and harpsichord major uh, he's getting his masters uh, right now um, and so he got a great deal the guy who we bought it from made it he's a Uh, physics professor, and so one of his things was he just made this harpsichord. So uh, it was a very unique experience, to say the least. So so that was great. That's my cussy there. This has been down here, even though I'm completely wrong, and this is Matt Nelson here. We are God's Word During Exile, a group of pastors who get together to study God's Word. We're happy that you are here, and we are in Revelation 21, uh, and... I'm going to ask Mike to open us a prayer.
3: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord God, thanks for today. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to uh, get together and share a time of fellowship with these guys and dig into your word. Lord, I ask that you would just uh, have your hand upon us today as we uh, study Revelation chapter 21. Um, Help us to uh, teach it and speak about it clearly so that it's more easily understood. And Lord, I pray that you would show us our sin, point us to Christ today. By your word, strengthen our faith. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, W, would you read scripture for us?
1: I think we're going to tackle the whole chapter again. Yeah, you uh, um, again read the whole chapter, 21st chapter of Revelation, just to uh, put this in context, and then we'll start talking about it again at about verse five, I believe. Um, off last week, but I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and this is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, As for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here ends our reading. Thank you, God.
2: So before we get started up with verse five, there are a couple of things in verse three, if that's okay. Sure. I mean, what
0: if we say no? what would happen
2: I, I refuse
0: to talk about verse three i'm just
1: gonna just sit here and scowl deal with it yes. you had your chance last week ben yes.
2: <laughs> no actually i didn't <laughs> <laughs> okay no dude, right, talk to us about right.
0: verse three let's hear it okay all
2: right so verse three And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, right? He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So that statement that, you know, the dwelling place of God is with man. I just think that we want to notice there that it's basically a return to Eden. So we have this kind of, um, you know, we start in Eden, you know, God dwells with, Adam and Eve, right? As he walks through the garden, they are in his presence. Um, sin comes into the world and there's that separation, right? Um, and so then as Revelation is drawing to a closer, as we see the new heavens and the new earth, you know, basically we're having or returning to the language of the garden. So God is now again uh, dwelling with with man in the, in the way that he did um, in Eden, because God certainly dwells uh, with us through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, God indeed came down to us in Jesus Christ and dwelt in our midst uh, for a time there. But this has more of a finality to it, right? That now God's permanent dwelling place, as it were, is with man, right? So it's a return to, to Eden, and I think we'll see that come up again again, too, as we get the picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And then when it, verse 3 says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That language, I mean, it's more than one place in the Old Testament, but, it, but it's really reminiscent, I think, of the language in Hosea. So, for example, in Hosea chapter 2, you know, God will, as a judgment, talk about how, you know, he'll say to his people, you know, you're not my people, right? And he'll say that, you know, you will not uh, receive mercy. But when he speaks um, his word of of gospel, right, and he gives to them a promise, you know, he, he says in, in chapter 2, verse uh, 23, you know, he says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. So hear that as a, as a name. So they were named no mercy. So I'll have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, and hear that as a name, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. So God gives this promise. And certainly this comes to pass with you know, the redemptive work of Christ in which he makes those who are not God's people to be God's people. But we kind of see that that ultimate uh, fulfillment or experience of that, you could say, I guess, um, in the new heavens and the new earth, where God says, they will be my people, essentially, and God will be our God. And so we have kind of that, that language from Hosea showing up here in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we can see that what, what Christ accomplished in his redemption comes to its fullest expression uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so um, that is just kind of gives us that, that picture there of what that will be like a dwelling with God. Again, not some ethereal somewhere out there, but, you know, here on earth, the new heavens and the new earth, God, Dwells with his people and he is our God. This is the culmination of the redemption that he has uh, purchased through the work of Christ. Um, And I know we talked about this last week, but just with Matt reading the whole chapter of 21, especially in those last few verses, gives us kind of that picture too that, you know, it's not, you know, kind of this somewhere out there, endless church service as so often we conceive of of heaven right he talks about you know the nations right and and how they will they'll walk by the light of of the lamb you know the the gates won't be shut you know you can go in and out of the city of god kind of a thing and it gives you a sense of you know the entirety of the earth um kind of being you know free travel you know throughout the entire earth and the new heavens and the new earth there will be no you know no sin no wickedness nothing you know like that um you know and so it's not like oh we're just going to be sitting in one place doing this thing or that thing that we might think is boring but it, but it gives us a sense of the entire earth is you know it's the new heavens and the new earth and man will will dwell throughout the earth in the presence of God and so on and so forth. So it gives us a much bigger picture than I think a lot of times we're accustomed to to seeing. But anyways.
3: Are you guys fans of Star Trek Next Generation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that episode where it it uh, like takes Q back to where he lives and it's just like a whole bunch of people sitting on porches bored out of their mind because they're all powerful and eternal and have nothing and to do? Because they're,
0: they're watching Star Trek. Yeah.
3: Hey, stop that. But like that's a lot of times that's the impression we get of what heaven's going to be like. It's just going to be the same thing over and over and we might enjoy it in the beginning, but we'll get bored. But that's not that's not the case at all. You know, it's it's not so, the picture we get. So heaven
0: stars. will not be like watching Star Trek.
3: I, I think it might be a little like watching Star Trek, at least for me.
2: Sounds like
0: there's a lightsaber battle going on behind you, Mike. I'm in.
2: There aren't lightsabers in Star Trek.
0: Is there lightsabers in
2: heaven? No, I said it it sounds like there's a lightsaber battle going on behind you, Mike. Oh, yeah. The the cleaners are here. (laughs) I did did put my
3: garbage outside today, so we shouldn't
1: have anybody come in to change my garbage. I'll try and keep muted when the vacuum's running. (laughs) So it won't be quite as exciting this time around. Uh, but you know Ben what you're saying there is interesting too to connect Hosea again with this because it in Revelation 21 we heard that New Jerusalem is uh, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and that's a real huge theme in Hosea too and it's shocking to think about that then in this context because okay so just a quick review Hosea um, had an unfaithful wife and she was with these different lovers and giving them credit for blessing her, even though it was the true blessings were coming from her husband. Anyway, she is wooed back by her husband. He has mercy on her, woos her back, restores her, restores their relationship. And then they live together um, after she's purified and they have this, you know, restored, beautiful marriage. And all that despite her unfaithfulness. And now this is such a powerful connection for us because we, Israel, was the unfaithful bride. We are the unfaithful bride that has cheated on the Lord with false gods, worshiped other things other than Him. And yet He has so graciously, mercifully decided to woo us back. And, um, because he wants to restore us, and this is now a, a picture of that coming to fruition when when God uh, restores uh, his bride to their relationship, having cleansed her. And so, um, uh, maybe a cool thing for us to hang on to as we go forward, and to appreciate this beautiful city that that all believers get to live in, even though we don't deserve it as. The ones who have been unfaithful to the Lord, yet he restores those who trust in him. So are
0: you, since since Mike's having trouble right now, he just sent me a message about the vacuum. Uh I'll jump in here and I might be the heresy of the day right here, but are, are we comparing God to Ric Flair here? Because you, you mentioned a word that God is doing something to us over and over and over again and this is the only thing that i could think of right here
1: <laughs> is woo. just rick
0: flair just can you do a good rick flair impression do you think that that's the way Woo! do you think that that's the way that, that god brings that's, us back into His? that's body? how i, I got it's, That's how
3: i got gretchen to marry me i just walked around oh really Going until woo!
0: Woo!
3: she took notice worked um
1: great. yeah it's uh, a different woo oh yeah oh, all right could it be the same woo uh it's more tender yeah yeah more tender than rick flair all right but yeah i mean that was <laughs> i didn't I, I didn't even realize there were two different kinds of woos but oh uh, there
0: you'd... and within the woo there are different nuances of the woo too
1: well, maybe you need a whole episode to teach us about this.
0: I probably could. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: OK, so, you know, Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, and all he can say is, I am Groot. But depending upon how he says it, it oh. means certain things. That's Me the too. same with Wu, dude. Like, Wu can have a bunch of different. Yeah, we're going to Ben, save us, Ben. This Ben, this rabbit trail is bad, Ben. Mike, I now fully support everything that you said about what said <laughs> last week.
3: Yeah, so let's let's go to verse five, then, guys. Uh, <laughs> vacuum stopped around here. Uh, we've got somebody seated on the throne there in verse five. I think it might be important to try to identify who is seated there and who begins speaking.
0: Uh, probably Steven Spielberg because he was the creator of Jaws or is this not the great white throne?
3: It doesn't say anything about greatness or whiteness, so we'll just call it the throne for now.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would yep. say
0: God's on the throne.
1: Yep. I mean, we, I think we can say in that kind of generic way about God, right? That it is only God who can sit on the throne. And if we want to get more specific, you know, which person of the Godhead, um, traditionally we would understand this as the Father, right? But throughout Revelation, we've been seeing Christ on the throne, and and uh, we, the Great White Throne, uh, right? But um, but um, we also would see that that uh, God in Daniel chapter seven has this prophecy that the son of man who will come on the clouds will be given authority. And then when Jesus dies and rises from the the dead, God um, gives him all authority and gives him all things. And then he is said to be the one then who will judge in the end. And so we see Christ taking these positions of authority that would traditionally be understood to belong to God, the father. And so my guess would be Jesus Christ specifically here, but we can say without a doubt, I believe God is on the throne here. Any, any thoughts? Am I, am I on the right track with thinking this is Jesus particularly here? I'm waiting for Ben to correct you on this one.
3: He's deep in thought, so I don't know if he really will or not. Oh,
2: I'm just checking something. Um, My
3: my only question as to whether or not it's Jesus on the throne would come in verse 7, is the person from the throne is speaking and says, to the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So that language of my son would make me think that it's probably the father that's envisioned being seated on the throne in this point rather than Jesus. Um, But. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. We do have an I am
1: statement, which Jesus is famous for. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning
2: and the end. So, which um, is, that's where where they said in chapter one, verse eight, that is um, the Father, God, the Father, who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Um, Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Which we would not disagree with that either one could say that, right, that they would. um, But, and, and if anything, you know, the fact that Jesus uses these I am statements, which refers back to the Old Testament name Yahweh, right? The fact that Jesus would take up these phrases that belong only to God shows their unity in this, that this is only true of them and that they are one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe we're splitting yeah. hairs here, but
2: um yeah, I mean ultimately yes, there's the unity of their essence and their work and their godness and so on, you know, these things are applicable to the Trinity. Yep. So all
3: right, so Um, Just maybe
2: one
1: more thing to jump ahead here. Um, So you've noted that the father says, I am the alpha and the omega. And then in chapter 22, so jumping to the end, we see, um, behold, this is verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Who is the one who is coming? We would say that's Jesus, right? Based on all the other Mm -hmm. prophecies. And then he says, bringing my recompense with me, which we know that God gave him that authority to bring recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then he says, I, Jesus, a couple of verses later have sent my angels. So now we've got Jesus taking this title and then he says, I am coming soon.
3: Mm-hmm. So yep. I think, I think we can pretty safely say here that, that, then the triune God is enthroned in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And from said throne comes this speaking
1: Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, but he says, behold, I make things new. That's the first phrase. Uh, I know we spent a good chunk of time talking about this last week and Ben hit on it already. Uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to unpack from that first phrase? Behold, I am making all things new. I know there it's like it's a lot. there.
2: Yeah, we should. Yeah. Uh make the connection again back to Genesis and God speaking um, creation into existence. And so this is a consistent thing throughout scripture. So God speaks and he creates the world, the universe. Yeah, he creates all that it, that is. Um, and then, you know, he speaks and he creates the Christian, you yeah, he speaks his, his word of gospel and promise and creates faith and raises the dead to life. Um, And he speaks again and recreates, makes all things new. And so we, we do have a consistent theme of, you know, God's creative word uh, throughout scripture. And so we see that here again and just shows, I think the, the unity of the whole of scripture from beginning to end, like here in the last, book of the bible talking about the last things you know um we're going right back to creation themes eden you know restoration to the way things were before the fall and so you know god is now fixing the problem of our sin and that you know and the terrible results of that sin you know it's being Fixed or, you know, brought to its completion. Like he, you know, he dealt with the, you know, a sin and so on with, you know, the work of Christ. But here we kind of see this is the, the culmination of it all. Now we get to see with our eyes and experience with all of our senses that which uh before this point we could only receive by faith and take by faith. Now we get to see it. And experience it. Mm. Uh, talking about things that
3: uh, kind of we see throughout scripture uh, is that voice from the throne continues to speak. He says, write this down to John, for these words are trustworthy and true, right? There's never been any question throughout the pages of scripture that what God says is trustworthy and true. Um, so it's it's interesting that that it gets repeated here. Like you can actually trust this stuff but you can always trust the words of God. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's continue on with what, uh, what's coming from the throne. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment and to the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son let's stop there. Cause we get a, we get a change in verse uh, eight, um, start talking about, you know, uh, judgment a little bit rather than uh, rather than reward and blessing in the, in those first verses. Um, but uh, what do you guys want to comment on, on six and seven here?
1: Well, you, you just so strongly stated Mike that we can trust the words of God, right? And this is so beautiful when we think about this statement, it is done. And it reminds me of another statement that God made when he was hanging on the cross, and he said, it is finished, or it is paid in full. And this is a different word, and but it's talking about a different part of God's work. And it's in the same kind of form and it's a perfect, that means it's a completed action with lasting results. And so when we see God saying at the cross, it is finished, it's paid in full, and now at the end of things, him making all things new, it is done. What a beautiful thought, isn't it, that we can count on this that we can count on the fact that our sins have been paid for. This is objectively true that all of the sins of people throughout all time and in all places have been paid for by the blood of Christ and it's completed, paid in full. So that means all of your sins, whoever you are, whatever human being you are, uh, your sins paid in full completely. And, That's such a wonderful truth. And then to think that this work is also going throughout all of creation to everything else to be restored. And God finishes that work as well. And so it's a complete and full restoration of things uh, how they were to be. We do recognize that not all receive this gift of God's finished work. And that means both that they will, if when they reject Christ and his completed work, they do not receive that forgiveness that was offered and accomplished for them. And, and so they stand guilty before God. And then as a result of that, their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, as we heard referenced here again in chapter 21, and they will not receive the benefit of this recreation too and they will not live for eternity in this blessed place that has been made new. And so um, it's a wonderful comfort to all of us who trust in God, but also we should not forget that this is uh, is something that is being offered right now to those of you who are still hearing this, but it won't last forever. And so today, put your trust in these words and receive all of this. Um, and, and also hear the warning that if you do not receive this and you go to meet your maker, that you will not get these blessings. And instead uh, you will receive uh, what you actually deserve, which is separation from all of God's blessings.
0: You know, one of the things on, on YouTube that I've grown to enjoy more and more are um, like restoration, Especially restoration on like old knives or old products that people would never have had. And if you haven't checked them out, it's actually kind of satisfying to see a person sit down with something that when you first look at it, you're like, there's no way that that's going to be usable. And then by the time the individual gets done with it, it looks brand new, but it's still that same thing. They have just restored it. And so as I was watching that, I was like, man, that's a great way of thinking about how the Lord continually works on us, until we reach that full perfection in heaven. You know, it's like, we're on the trajectory of a restoration project where God is constantly trying to sanctify us you know whittle away things in our lives that he doesn't want there and we're slowly being restored until we reach what John is talking about here in Revelation of this new heaven and new earth and so it's it's really great um, to see that but then to be able to see that and make like connections of things that we can physically see here on earth and see them being restored and have that be a reminder of our own restoration as well. So it's just kind of a cool aspect. If you never checked them out, check it out. It's amazing to watch them take this disgusting, rusty knife or product. And by the end it shined up so nice that you could sell it as brand new. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah. I was uh, at a, a retreat recently for uh, people who work with youth. And uh, there was a guy there that makes pottery. His name's Jim and he he's from Kalispell, Montana, and has worked with young life ministries for a long time, but he's been doing pottery for 40 plus years and he just loves it. It's his main hobby. And, uh, but he was making some pottery in front of us and, shaping this with his hands and and it's starting to turn into something wonderful and all of a sudden he slips and hits this thing and it just starts to wobble and flop and it just falls off of the pottery wheel and it was so devastating to see it happen because we had watched him for some time shape this into something and now it was all undone it was broken it was just a sloppy pile of nothing useful and it was i just felt like i got punched in the gut all of a sudden to see this fall apart and he's he just looks at it and he was really disappointed and and he just says well i guess I'm going to start over. And he starts to collect the pieces and add some more clay and add some more water. And he starts reshaping and he begins all over again. And then he said, this is what God does with us. We fall apart. You know, we are, we are broken and we struggle with sin on a daily basis. And we fall into this useless mess. And we, we, uh, um, we're nothing, but God picks up the pieces and he makes us new again. And this is kind of the work that God does. And, and I mean, his, of course, God's work is so much more complete than that, giving us, uh, a recreation down to the, uh, you know, in the deepest and most thorough way possible. And yet we are still ourselves, God makes us um, who, you know, he doesn't make us into a different person. Uh, and yet we are a new creation, totally remade by God when we are um, when we're saved and, and when that work is finished on this last day. And to think about how God is doing that with us personally and with everything is such a a beautiful thing to see the care of God. And certainly it's not because we offer him anything You know, we're nothing but a sloppy pile of earth, you know, or whatever with without him. But, you know, he makes us into something beautiful and useful and because all because he cares about us and um, and makes us. I'll try to find the link to that guy's pottery stuff. This guy's not only makes really cool things, but you'd all be very encouraged to hear him share testimony of God remaking him and and many other people. (laughs) Who (laughs) is scruffy looking?
0: (laughs) Come back to the awful Star Trek stuff that you talked about. I'll hear you say that and I'm gonna raise you this this Star Wars one. Matt, as you were talking about how we are we're just a steaming pile of mess
1: yeah
0: i was thinking to myself man han solo who's scruffy looking
3: scruffy looking nerfer right
1: <laughs> oh man <laughs> but i i need to hear this stuff because oftentimes i'm just overcome with like anxiety and depression and like terrible uh feelings about myself and all that in fact that's why i pulled this book off my shelf Uh, Christ esteem talks about get rid of this self-esteem and searching for that find, find your identity in Christ. And, uh, you know, that's what we need. We need to be remade from the ground up because Mm -hmm. we're just broken, weak, corrupt people. And, uh, and yet the Lord can do amazing work with us because he has the power to make everything from the beginning out of nothing with just his words, and, and he can make you a new creation in your soul for eternity with just the words, you are forgiven. You are my child. And, and he can make the whole earth new again in every part of the universe uh, all over again, just by the power of his word and totally restored. What a wonderful thing.
3: And yeah, we need yeah. to hear that, that gospel message, that good news all the time, because uh, it's, it's not natural and it's not normal. It's something that's foreign to us. It's not something we'll ever come up with on our own. Like on my own, I could figure out I'm a piece of garbage. I could get that. Yeah. I've met myself. I've seen the dumb things that I've done. I don't even need the law of God to tell me I'm a sinner. It certainly is helpful and exposes more mm-hmm. of my sin, but I, I can tell that I'm, I'm, I don't have it all together on my own but I would never know that I am beloved and I am redeemed and I am forgiven and I am promised eternal life without the gospel
1: and without constantly hearing it, I'll forget it. And we can't, we can't really have peace and hope and joy in anything less because everything else might just be a bandaid. I mean, think about the fact that while well, maybe for a little while chemo or radiation or insulin, or antipsychotic medication, or ibuprofen, or whatever it is might make you feel okay for a little while or get you back on the road a little bit. But we need a ground up rebuild and restoration. And, uh, you know, nothing else can really provide hope for eternity, right? Are you trying to say that if I have enough faith my cancer is going to go away? Is that what you just said? <laughs> Eventually, but maybe not in this life. Ah. But that's that's the hope, right? Is that when God finishes remaking us in the end, when he gives us a new body, cancer will never be a problem again. You will never need chemo or radiation and uh or lawyers, right? Remember last week? Yeah. <laughs> we won't need lawyers. Uh, go check that out from last week. That was a great moment in last week's episode. When uh, when Matt Richards not only said funny lawyers can't be saved. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> was a funny. That uh, was a funnier thing. But that 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 truth that that Pastor Matt Richard was sharing was absolutely wonderful to think about. So, this is a a real thing to put your hope in now, and we all need it because you know. The, let's be frank. I mean, there's all sorts of like get get well tips and tricks that people will tell you about like helping your body you know whether it's acupuncture or yoga or this eat healthy kind of thing or do this surgery to help you or whatever there's all sorts of things that body mind soul your your uh your mental health everything that people will try to do to help you and and many of those things can actually help in some regard but none of them give you what you actually need and none of them are lasting, but God is offering you the complete help that you need here.
2: As we think about this, the, I mean, the picture is nice of the, the restoration and that kind of thing too, but so, How do I want to say this?
0: That our so, illustrations were wrong and straight up heresy and now you're going to crack <laughs> us? No.
2: No, that's not, not what I was going to say. <laughs> that's not totally Patrick, true.
0: It's modalism, so,
2: Patrick. What we will be on the last day and in the new heavens and new earth, we are now by God's declaration, even though we don't see it. And so so we can think about, you know, God is in the process that we call sanctification, which is what you guys have been talking about. You know, God is restoring us or, you know, to what we are now. Christ if that if that makes sense so you know that reality that is declared over us you know will one day be the reality that is completely visible and experienced right and so um, because I don't know hopefully this doesn't make it super complicated but basically when god saves us right and he declares us righteous in christ it's it's like he's taking the verdict on the last day and he's pulling it into this age and he's saying this is true now and you are 100 percent saint in christ you are a new creation right but we know that in our experience in this age you know we still have the marring of the sinful nature, right? And so we kind of, we live with this tension, this dual reality of, you know, who we are in this present age and who God has declared us to be in light of, you know, Christ's work and the age to come. And so we have this dual reality, right? And as we live in this life and God is at work on us through his word and, you know, through the spirit, working through the word, he's making us into what we already are what he has declared us to be in Christ. Does that, does that make sense? So, so even if you can't see, even if you look at, you know, yourself and you're like, ah, oh, just a mess, you know, there, there is some, there's comfort there because even you know, like you can remind yourself that according to God's word, you, you know, it's like a diamond being uncovered. Like you're still seeing all the grit and the dirt and everything that's covering that diamond but you can rest assured based on God's word and promise that the diamond is there, right? You have, you are righteous in Christ. You are that new creation. Um, and that's true, whether you feel like it or not. Right. And so, you know, we anxiously wait for the day where that, where all the the dirt and grime and marring is gone forever. Right. So I don't know if that was just confusing. It was meant to coincide with what you guys were fact. The phrase that's been coined that's been
1: pretty helpful, I think, with this is the already and the not yet. And it's it's a it's this re, this situation where yeah, we already are saints, we already are uh, citizens of heaven, and yet just in a sense, not yet because we aren't fully realizing or experiencing that. but it's as good as done. Which is an awesome thing. I mean, my mother-in-law has terminal cancer, but she's a believer in Christ. And I'll tell you what, that cancer might kill this, this, uh, this body that she has that's been failing anyway and would eventually die. But, you know, it can't touch her. It can't actually take anything from her. She has everything. Her, her heavenly body is guaranteed. Her eternal life is secure. Her place in heaven is there. And that's true for anybody who believes in Christ. None of these things can hurt you anymore. And there's a totally new reality in, in the eternal perspective. And it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and it shows, too, how hopeless it is without that. Because if all you've got is trying to patch things together for a little while, and then you lose it all in the end, what a hopeless situation. And I hope you all see the contrast in this that and what's being offered to you.
2: The the neat thing with that too, is that ultimately in every sense, she doesn't lose anything really, because that very same body that dies and succumbs to cancer When Christ returns and raises the dead, that very same body will rise from the grave without any of the effects of Mm -hmm. sin. And so it'll be that body, but untouched by sin and disease and such. And so even so you could say, you know, even though for a time she loses her body, she gets it back. So ultimately nothing is is lost ultimately there's a full and ultimate restoration of all things and so it's all gain right
3: yeah all right let's keep moving here on six that was great stuff guys six and seven uh the end of verse six it says to the thirsty i will give from the spring of the water of life without payment Um, my mind immediately goes to the, to the woman at the well, the Samaritan at the well, right? Mm. Jesus says, you know, anybody who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again, but I will Mm. give you water and you'll never thirst again. You You can find that um, in
1: John four. Yeah. So you've got,
3: got that connection.
2: Yeah. Isaiah, come, come all who are thirsty to the waters come, you know, and buy without money, without payment, you know, that's Isaiah 55.
3: Yeah, So we've got those great connections and those great fulfillments of scripture, both from the Old and the New Testament. Uh, but it's, it's actually rolling into verse seven that I had this weird connection into the Psalms, which I normally wouldn't have picked up on at all, except I'm going to be preaching on the Psalms at a cluster meeting tomorrow. So um, to the one who conquers, we've talked about this a whole lot. This is, this is the one who is a Christian, a believer by grace and through faith he will have this heritage or this this inheritance right so in psalm 16 mm-hmm. 5 and 6 it talks about uh, david says you know the lord is my portion and he is my cup basically he is my he is my food and my drink he is my sustenance uh, the lord holds my lot and then it says the lines have fallen for me in good places and I have a beautiful inheritance. So, like even even David uh, in, in the Psalms, there he sees this thing because the Lord is his portion and his cup. Um, he has this wonderful inheritance of eternity and eternal life. And we kind of see that connection here in, in really similar words. You know, Jesus giving that water of of life without payment, and it, and it giving that that wonderful, beautiful heritage. So, kind of connections throughout scripture with these promises that are given here in, in revelation six and seven
2: yeah and it makes a lot of sense with you know god then saying you know i'll be as god and he will be my son right because to have inheritance you you know it goes to the children right to the sons and so we have to be sons of god children of god in order to to gain an inheritance from god and in order to be a son or daughter of God, you have to be connected to the son, right? Um, but that just picks up again, all that adoption language that is throughout scripture of, you know, God adopts us into his family. You know, we are not naturally part of God's family because we are naturally enemies of God, but he adopts us through through Christ, through the work that Christ has done. And so um, that's just kind of a neat picture there. To just a consistent picture of adoption and inheritance, you know, and you know, so not only does God bring us into his family, but he also has, you know, gifts to give us, right? And inheritance to to give us. And and so, you know, just as Christ, you know, he has, you know, righteousness and eternal life and all of these things, right? They are his. We have those things too, because Christ gives them to us as fellow heirs of God as fellow sons with Christ. And so isn't that kind of a neat thing that we get to not only be part of God's family, but we get to share in the inheritance of the son as sons. Right. And that's kind of, that's pretty neat.
3: And this is totally unlike the inheritance that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter two, where he says, you know, in vanity, have I done all this toil and built everything up and I'm going to give it to the next generation. And who knows if they're going to be uh, wise or fools. They're probably just going to waste it anyway. It's all vanity. It's worthless. It doesn't matter. Like this is an inheritance that lasts. These are the things that truly matter. It's not like any other earthly waste that we could build up and pass on, um, Unfortunately, I can't just write like my kids' names and my will, and that'll guarantee <laughs> their eternal security, though. All we can do is we can pass on, you know, share this mm-hmm. gospel message with others that they might also believe and have faith and be redeemed. We've well, we got a little bit of time left. I think we can tackle verse eight and kind of finish this section. Just uh, talk about that bit of judgment that pops up there. Um, as I mentioned last week, there's a little song connected to Revelation 21.8. We won't sing it again. But here's the list that, that's uh, given. Uh, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, on this list, we've got, we've got things that I think are pretty terrible, As I look at them personally, you know, murderers, that sounds pretty bad. Sexual immorality, cheating on your wife, husband, whatever, that sounds pretty bad. Um, But there's also things like who amongst us hasn't told a white lie or been a bit of a coward at times. So you kind of see from the greatest of sins to the smallest of sins in this last verse being condemned with the threat, not just of like, "Hey, we're gonna give you a spanking," but like, with the threat of hell and eternal damnation.
2: Yeah, um, couple of things. So, oh, what was it when it says, uh, "You know the the cowardly." Um, I guess I just want to say that. Um, you know, we might think that, oh man, if I'm ever like afraid to do something or that, that that I'm in the danger of, of hell. And that's, that's not really what's, what the driving point is. Like this would be cowardly in the sense of, you know, uh, I don't know, they're like forsaking your faith to escape consequences. Um, and, you know, or it could be connected to, to the, to the faithless, you know, like these are, you know, describing people who and God, but I just, I say about that, you know, because we can, you know, there are many times, you know, where we, where we are afraid to, to do what we know is right. we might think, oh, that means I'm a coward. And that means I'm in danger of the fire of, of hell. But I think that that's been gotten at here is like, that would be a case where like, oh, I don't want to suffer consequences. So I'm going to deny Christ, you know, or I'm going to give up my faith because I don't want to uh, be thrown in prison or killed or whatever. Um, I think it's on that level of a, of a thing. Um, but, but we can think about, you know, this too, you know, so like faithless, right. So we, we can think of all throughout Testament, for example, you know, like how many you know, kings of Israel or faithless kings, right? And going after other gods and things like that, right? We can, we can have that, that idea, you know, but if we're not, well, we, if we, you know, we can think of many who, you know, in the, in the church, as we can, as we can see it, who are, unfortunately, who are faithless. They do not follow God's word. They do not, uh, you know, they teach, Uh, lies in the in the church they're faithless right um you know detestable you know that's you would never want god to call you detestable right but you know like mike you talked about murderers right but if we remember what jesus says right that to hate your brother without cause is to be a murderer right the sexual immoral again as jesus says it's not just the act and, and we should say this would cover the entire gamut of sexual sin, whether that be on a, in a heterosexual direction or a homosexual direction, all, because sometimes we get, you know, sometimes we, we get kind of caught up in saying, oh, well, you know, homosexual sins, those are really bad sexual sins. And sometimes we forget about the sexual immorality that occurs between men and women too, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, God has the whole, the whole thing in view, all all sexual immorality, including the lusts that drive those actions, right? Um, you know, sorcerers would be like, yeah, you know, those who practice witchcraft and divination would be that kind of a thing, which fits right along with idolaters. But all of us, you know, you know, we fall short of the first commandment, right? And so, we are all guilty at various times of idol worship, right? Liars, right? As Mike said, we've all, to some degree or another, told lies. They don't have to be what we consider to be really big lies to make it on that list. You know, what we consider to be a small lie is still a lie, right? So kind of what I'm driving driving with this is that even though this is spoken of in a final judgment kind of way, so these ones that are consigned to the second death are those who are standing on judgment day being judged by God as these things, right? This these kinds of people. Um, we, we want to also see that though, as God's law convicting us and calling us to repentance, right? Because we, we show up on that list in multiple places, right? If not in every place. Right. And so so we don't want to just have this idea of like, yeah, those really bad people, but we also want to recognize, yeah, I am those things too. God, forgive me. And he forgives us, right? You know, as uh, St. Paul, right? You know, and such were some of you, but you were washed and you were cleansed and so on and so forth, right? So um, if that makes, makes some sense. Um, so we don't want to just have a, our gaze looking outward at those people, but we also want to hear it as, yeah, that's me too. And and God is calling me to repent and trust in the shed blood of Christ to forgive me of these sins too, because I am that also in myself.
3: No, then that totally makes sense, and I was hoping that's where you you would go with it. After I, especially said things like I think murder and sexual immorality are bad, knowing full well what Jesus said about them, and knowing that I am fully guilty of those. But I can't. I don't think we can land on a on a better place than on. Um, you you indeed are a sinner who needs to repent, but thankfully it is for sinners that Christ came and died. So repent, believe. And the promises that came yeah. before this belong to you.
2: What was that? Is that 2 Corinthians 6? That that would be a good verse just to read in. Or is it first Corinthians?
3: Seeing as I can't read your mind, I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: Uh, the, the verse we were Paul, yeah, he lists off the sins. He says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified. First Corinthians 6.11. And such were some
3: of you, but you are washed, you are yeah. sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God.
2: Yeah, that's the one. Awesome. That's what, that's
3: what we're
2: talking about here. So, yeah. Cool. Well, cool. Ben, will you close us up in prayer? Yeah. Thanks again for another day that you've given uh, to us and uh, thanks for time that we could spend uh, looking at your word and studying your word. And we just uh, ask that uh, you would continue to uh, show us our sin, uh, that we may uh, repent of our sin and, and know your forgiveness and, your grace. Um, and we pray to you that you would so cause your word to go out into all the world through your people, uh, that all who hear it may repent of their sins and be spared the the second death, um, that they would repent in time before you return. Um, and again, we just thank you for uh, the gift of your son and his shed blood for us, which indeed does Uh, wash us and cleanse us and sanctify us um, and make us holy before you in jesus name we pray amen
3: Amen. ben i I should let you know uh that your brain is actually better than mine you knew it was either first or second corinthians chapter six i just used the power of google so (laughs) thank you guys welcome back matt (laughs)